0: it thanks for standing beside us alright might as well preach a <clears throat> what's deja vu? deja vu is when you hear yourself say I've seen that before right kind of a secular link to the prophetic movement starting place for some folks so what's the Bujai day it's the opposite right Bujai day is when you hear yourself say i ain't never seen nothing like that before." i tend to inspire quite a bit of boojah day on a regular basis all right <clears throat> So I've written this out word-for-word because word, I want to make sure I don't get excited and leave a step because you're gonna have to keep your eye on the ball through this all right I got three major parts number one I'm going to start out advertising another man's message number two I'm going to summarize 2,000 years of church history And then, number three, I'm going to get ridiculously, comically practical on how to change the world and stuff. Okay. So if you took a popular list of the top ten prophets in America right now, and then you asked those ten who is the greatest, I'm pretty sure the other nine would say Larry Randolph. Now, I'll tell you right now when i when I drop names, I'm not doing that to to document myself, okay? I'm trying to give you a homework assignment. I want you to start listening to the people that I listen to, YouTube. That's just my seminary now. Okay, Larry Randolph has a website, Living Rain Ministry. Now to make it easy to remember that, it used to be called Larry Randolph Ministry. But anywhere you go, Living Rain Ministry, And you contact them, and you have to ask for this. You ask about the Renaissance versus revival message, and tell them you want the long version. And yeah, I'm I'm handing out a homework assignment here because it's, it's it's two audios that together it's about three hours long: Renaissance versus revival. And you have to call them up and ask for this, because it's not on YouTube anymore. The Renaissance versus revival message immediately struck a chord with me, as soon as I have heard it. It's the most powerful thing I've heard since 2019. It was in that time period when we were all laid off, I was laid off, and had a lot of time for YouTube teachings. Larry says God wants to do a new thing, meaning it's time to give up our appetites and addictions for the old things. Now, he describes revival in a very literal sense of the word, trying to put life back into a dead body. That's why there's so much shock treatment that revivalists employ, right? Like the paramedics. Clear! <laughs> To use shock to get old manifestations of the Holy Spirit to move again. And then he takes that whole approach, which is not a new thing, but compares it to the historical Renaissance period that ended the Middle Ages. In the Renaissance, God did new things that had never been done in this world before. And God created Renaissance men to rise up and invent things to change the world scientific community is giving credit for all this but the church triggered the renaissance larry's description of a coming renaissance overtook me when i heard this teaching okay because it immediately reminded me of all the claims i used to hear back when foundations fellowship was meeting all these claims that will Moore was going to have a revival that never died and they're always trying to make up a name for this so now prophet Randolph is using the term Renaissance so there's that name they were looking for it also reminds me of a lot of the teachings I hear coming out of Bethel now and also out of the word of faith movement that we're about to enter an age of great prosperity and accomplishment for the church where the church does things way beyond preaching and we actually take over all the seven education and industry and all, you know what i'm talking about. certainly now is a turning point in world history there are a lot of little things that must be fulfilled before the second coming okay there's little things like, you know, the temple has to be built before the Antichrist can desecrate it. Last week I would have said little things like the God May God war. Now maybe that maybe I better leave that one alone this week. But there are two big things that have to be fulfilled before the second coming of Jesus. Number one, the gospel has to be preached to every nation. When I was a kid, that goal seemed like it was hundreds of years away. Now, a lot of missions agencies talk like that goal is less than 40 years away. And where they set their projections on that just all depends on what you call a nation when you say the gospel has to be preached to every nation. Number two. Before Jesus can return, the church in this world must become a pure and spotless bride. Nobody wants to venture a guess on how long that's going to take. Okay? But, in order to be able to hope that Jesus is coming soon, yeah, of course I'm placing an emphasis on that. Those who don't want to deal with it actually project it away and say the pure spotless bride won't occur until sometime in the thousand year reign. And I can understand wanting to put off an issue like that. But if you've got the thousand year reign and all those time charts figured out, more power to you. I won't argue with that. The important thing is with number one, almost done. With us living in an age when the gospel almost has been preached to every nation, it is only fitting to take a real serious look at what the pure and spotless bride means and how that comes about and realize it is most likely the dominant theme for our lifetime. I was born again when I was 11, and instantly church unity has been my deepest obsession since day one, been a very inconvenient obsession, I've tried to work towards it in little things all my life, and had pretty much the same results all my life, you can imagine what kind of results There are three approaches to church unity. Over time, I've gone through phases of believing in each one. Now I only believe in number three. Number one, unity through compromise. That's the method of the denomination that I grew up in. And I've seen what it has done to me. Okay? UTP Compromise is not a good idea. The word ecumenical is like the word gay. Okay? On the street, it just don't mean what it used to. When I was a kid, ecumenical meant Methodist, Baptist, and Pentecostals all gathered together in one event. Probably under something called a brush arbor. Now, ecumenical, on the street, means Unitarian Universalist. Coming one world religion. Everybody say food. Close enough. Now number two is the most common approach by which to bring about church unity. Method number two recognizes that it is doctrine which divides people. That's what doctrine is supposed to be. Okay? Now, when you start out as a compromiser, I started out thinking, don't need to build a doctrine. We just need the right attitude or character and the right spirit. But you spend a few years trying to bring about unity through compromise, and you will discover your doctrine determines what spirits you are open to. And your doctrine builds your character for better or for worse. So, the most common approach for American prophets, intercessors, and revivalists in general, anyone who's trying to bring about unity, even just praying for it alone in your closet, is to believe and very much prepare for a repentance of false doctrines across this country. Which of course to each one of us means that we believe the great move of God will come when everyone else repents of their errors and becomes just like me. Now, 2,000 years of church history tells us that this approach to trying to bring about the coming of the kingdom is not a new thing. Strife strife is not normal in heaven, but it is the norm on earth, okay? For 2,000 years, God has made great use of the tendency to divisiveness on our part. But I think we're at a point where it's starting to get kind of old to it, okay? So we like to think church splits began with Luther 500 years ago. But look up real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. Y'all are fast, man. I, I can do this and get away with it. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians 11, 16. Paul is in the middle of an argument. And I don't even remember what it was. I didn't even write that part down. But he says, We have no such belief, and neither do the churches of God. That's... Little half a sentence right there neither do the churches of God that tells me that even in the first century they already had distinct denominations okay that's been a fact of life the whole time strife has spread the church around the world since the beginning okay revival is a cycle it is a cycle that moves through time a movement starts out on fire And slowly it grows cold. They all do. Okay? Then someone tries to do what I heard growing up, right? We're going to awaken the sleeping giant. But they don't. They start a splinter movement. Even John Wesley tried to awaken the Anglicans. And all he did was start a whole new thing. Even though he said all my life, I'm not going to start a whole new thing. That's exactly what he did. He started a splinter movement. And then eventually, this, this, that movement starts to grow cold. Someone tries to awaken it. They start a splinter movement. And if, if you track the history of all the splinter movements, it's like a tree with all these branches and the branches branch. And that's how we have populated the world with churches. Not entirely a bad thing. Okay? There is a beautiful diversity that has come out of all this strife okay but I'm not going to say I've not heard a voice on this I didn't have a dream I just can't shake the feeling that God is at a snapback time when there's been all this spread and now he's going to reverse that spreading tendency and bring a cohesiveness that has not been there before and turn how many engineers we got in the room I, I gotta do this the entropy <laughs> of the universe is constantly expanding but God has power over that okay rest of y'all just ignore that <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you look at how churches have spread like that <clears throat> that's why you see you can go into a a church of any size in this country I'll pick on Southland just cause they're close or centenary any two or three hundred member outfit you go visit that church about six weeks in a row and after you've been there six weeks they're going to wise up and they're going to herd you into the new believers class or the welcome class or, or whatever it's called beginning discipleship and they will softly begin to teach you what they call essential doctrine now if, if you read the sign out front before you go and see a denominational name and then you take your church history text you can flip through and figure out and you can predict whatever they're going to tell you okay because you go into any church in America and when they start to teach you essential Christian doctrine What they're going to teach you is the arguments that were brought about in that moment in time, however many hundred years ago it was, when they left, whoever they split off from. And whatever that ancient bone of contention is, they're going to put that in front of you as essential Christian doctrine. And, and another thing that you'll probably hear in the process, not always, is, is when they say that this is essential doctrine, they will often make the case that this congregation is the actual still-existent living fossil first-century church. And there will be some the reasons I've heard for this. Well, we don't have electric organs because the first-century church didn't it. I'm literally. You, you hear so many things about why we're the first century church, okay? With all serious respect, I've lost almost all of my appetite for the first century church. If the first century church was that great, how come the Apostle Paul wrote stuff like, Oh, foolish Galatians, who that's what we Okay. Most of the apostolic letters, no matter which apostle wrote them, are dealing with some kind of problem. Most of those problems I wouldn't have tried to fix. Corinthians, man, I'd be like, hey, I ain't one of them people. I'd be trying to distance myself from them. Paul was trying to save me. (laughs) I'd be trying to cover my reputation. I was never there. (laughs) Those people ain't under me. I have lost my appetite for the first century church, and I am developing a very keen appetite for the final century church. Y'all get that? Drop that on the palm of your neighbor's hand. I want the final century church. The pure and spotless bride of Revelation. Revelation. I want to be honest about something right here. Strife is basic to identity, okay? Right now, at least in the American church, sometimes when you get into a place where you have a generation of people that only heard the gospel 12 years ago, you actually have something very pure, and you have a strife-free identity until several different competing missions organizations but right now everyone in the American church knows who they are based on what other churches you're against. Okay? Now, I know that you know that we're supposed to say our identity is in Christ. Okay? I know that you know that, but that's not where we're at right now. Okay? When I was a student, not even across the street, right next door. At that time, there was a very energetic, incredibly popular young preacher, preacher, teacher professor, who had a book called Why I Am Not a Calvinist. Man, he ruled the whole town with that book. I, I forget his name. Jerry Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But. He's not in town anymore, but he was the golden boy, and the whole town was lit up over that book. And that's back when I was in like year four or five of a three-year degree. (laughs) So you're kind of getting tired of everything anyway, but everybody was so eat up over why I'm not a Calvinist, and they were so proud, they are so militant into this book. And that, that was the, the low point of at least my seminary time. Because I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm in these rooms and hallways around all these people, and I'm finally realizing I am not one of them because all this excitement and all this militancy grieved me. And it's like it almost completely just shut me down. because I cannot be a part of a community of people building their foundations on strife with other Christians. Lonely feeling to be in the middle of all that excitement based on that book. There has to be something more out there. But I want you to be very much aware that differences do matter, okay? all the postmoderns that might be in the room there is no thought or knowledge without differences. okay what's the first thing children do in preschool triangles and circles blue and red boys and girls let's get Genesis day and night light and dark okay personhood needs differences and boundaries, okay? That's why this whole new age idea of being one with the universe is so predatory. It violates boundaries. Predators always violate boundaries. The devil always wants to do away with the differences between him and God, okay? So I'm not going to require you to be so heavenly that your identity is not rooted in earthly differences. All right? It's natural, you're made to be that way. I am fully convinced that an impossible-seeming change in the character of world Christianity, this is about about to get funny here, okay? Now, I'm deadly serious. An impossible-seeming change in the character of world Christianity is easily brought about by a deliberate, even mundane-seeming shift in the differences we focus on. Wow, that's just page two. I have observed one thing repeatedly in churches, in movements, and in individual Christians all my life. I've seen this so many times, I now consider it a natural law just like gravity. Now, I'm not going to list examples, they would get ugly quick. I just want you to remember this statement I'm about to make. Hang on to it, start looking around, and see if it verifies itself to you or not. Might take five years, I don't know. When Christians focus on the difference between Jesus and false gods, church unity grows. But when Christians focus on the differences between themselves and other Christians, they themselves come to resemble false religions. Alright? There is a giant separation, a distillation, a polarization going on on planet Earth. Has been since day one but it's accelerating now the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil and everything whether you think you're independent or not is going to one of those two camps okay now you find this out when you're in a little small town and you're in one church and you're trying to get the pastors to cooperate with each other and For six months I was a pastor in a denomination I grew up in, six long months. You go around and try to reach out to other pastors and you talk about cooperation, well that's just leading to a one world religion. It's either leading to a one world religion or it's leading to the kingdom of God. One or the other, okay? I'm going to repeat it. When you think you need. When Christians focus on the difference between Jesus and false gods, church unity grows. When Christians focus on the differences between themselves and other Christians, they actually come to resemble false religions. Now, when you think you need to oppose those that went before you in order to get God to move, Which is the way it's always been to get God to move. I won't lie about that, okay? Luther did what he had to do, Uh alright? When you think you need to oppose those that went before you to get God to move, you are binding yourself in strife and reducing your vision of God's goodness to the scope of other people's mistakes. You are slowly, steadily twisting your prophetic calling and step-by-step step becoming an accuser of the grave. will repeat that one. But it is normal. None of us has ever known anything else. We have inherited that spiritual condition and we've been taught it. Now there is a method number three. By which the ugly old fiancé of Christ can become the beautiful bride of Christ. Mass repentance. Every leader, every church, every denomination, every movement, every fellowship, or whatever word you use when you don't want to admit that you're a denomination, will bow their knee before the rest of those who don't want to admit they are a denomination. And publicly admit to their own goofball false doctrines. All I can say is, I cannot shake the feeling that that's coming. And so I might as well speak it. After a while, it gets hard to keep quiet. I don't want a person to go through such a thing, I'd rather watch other people go through it. So there's one thing I'm doing to prepare myself for that coming day. I'm changing my one-liner. One-liners are the spiritual statements that matter most, okay? Everybody has one main tree trunk inside of them, and every other message they speak is just a branch off that same tree, all right? If you can't put what you have to say on a bumper sticker, you ain't got nothing to say. I spent 10 years working at the Kentucky Department of Environmental Protection, surrounded by Muslims, Hindus, and neo pagans, okay? I got in a lot of religious discussions and started about 10% of them. You didn't have to be active there, they came to you, all right? Those guys are literally trained by their religions, to come out a Christian with a trick question and then respond according to your response. If you don't have an answer, you get another trick question. If you do have an answer, the literal formula is for them to stomp their feet, yell, and make so much noise you can't talk while they are physically running away from you because they have been trained to not let themselves hear what you say if it becomes apparent you have an answer to their trick question. If you're dealing with guys like that, you better be able to spit it out in a one-liner or you're not going to get through to them. You're not going to hit that moving target. While I was there, I learned to abandon the one-liner that I had used for the middle one-third of my life. Which is, of course, it's not religion, it's relationship. Millions of people have been saved over the past 40 years with that one lighter. But the problem I ran into at the environmental department was most of the people of false religions consider themselves to have a better relationship with the demons they worship than Christians do with the real God. And I found out real quick they had stories of many supernatural manifestations to prove. And they recognized what I was doing with that one line. When they came to me and they accused the church, what I was doing was I was agreeing with their accusation. Yeah, those churches are the hypocrites you say they are, but my bunch is different. that was a very sideways response on my part that lacked integrity betrayed my own people and they did not respect me when I did that so I found a new line instead which accuses the accuser okay that's the difference between your God and mine pretty complicated huh That's the difference between your God and mine. It's the perfect response to the Islamic apologist who tells you God doesn't love because God is weakness. That's the difference between your God and mine. When you say that, he flips out and he screams at you and he says, there is only one God. And you reply, there is one God and there is one devil and the devil always pretends to be God even though he's not. But you can tell the difference because the devil doesn't love. That's the difference between your God and mine. It works real funny on the high class Hindu guy who tells you he has been through so many incarnations that now he is God. Word for word. That's the difference between your God and mine. And it can even work on those traditionalist Christians who get mad at Bethlehem music and say God isn't reckless. That's the difference between your God and mine. One of us is mistaken. I like I like simple Swiss Army knife kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> no matter who you're dealing with, it instant- no matter who you're dealing with, it instantly changes the issue from my performance or their performance to the only question that really matters. And it changed my own focus away from what has been in the church to what will be. Whatever one liner that people are safe to, whatever one liner people are born again with, that is the framework that they hang everything else they come to believe on for the rest of their life, okay? I can often be in like a counseling type situation and listen to someone have a a problem in their life that they're having, a marital problem, or some addiction they want to confess. And I can just listen to how they can describe it, and I can tell whether they were born again in a Billy Graham meeting, or if they're church of Christ, or even what kind of care is matter. Because you, one letter shapes everything. So let's do a hypothetical here. Let's do a what if. Mario Murillo has just come to Nicholasville. That's another one of them names I want y'all to look up, okay? He's doing a big tent crusade, and he's got several, he's got like 100 altar, altar ministers. We managed to keep five people there every night. And that means we have about 20 new people joining this church. Twice a week. Those cards with those names on it, we got to do follow up on them. Could be more than that. Mario Marilla gets it done. Alright? So, what are we going to do with all these new members? We're going to start having, having us a class with them, right? Probably meeting twice a week. For the sake of the exercise, let's assume that in the tent that night, they recited the sinner's prayer, baptized by immersion. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, they also spoke in tongues. Some of them underwent their first round of exorcism. So now what? I propose that instead of most of the dogmas that have come to shape the American prophetic movement, which is now pretty close to 40 years old, Let's do this. Very first weekly meeting. Get all of them new people in there. How you doing? Get comfortable. Pray, we love you. And then start teaching on the difference between the Jesus of the Bible and the force of the Star Wars movies. See, the force can be manipulated. Jesus cannot. The force has a light side and a dark side. Jesus does not need the devil for balance. Somebody say <laughs> You will be amazed at what they had assumed about Jesus. Okay? Second meeting take on the difference between Jesus and the God of Islam. Jesus loves, Allah doesn't. The God of the Bible is a loving father. But Allah is a eunuch who cannot even have a son, yet he claims to be the creator. <laughs> Third, teach on the difference between the holy trinity and the eastern cosmos all is one okay there are distinct boundaries within the trinity and love always manifests itself by crossing boundaries but like I said intimacy without boundaries is always predatory after that then teach on the difference between Christian spiritual gifts versus witchcraft and then week number five Start to impart gifts, spiritual gifts to. Then after that, who knows? Maybe that whole Excellencies of Christ thing that Alan Hood does out up there at the IHOP a semester. Prepare yourselves now to do what I'm saying, and you will not miss this coming moment, either here there's been prophesied so much, or wherever God moved to. When we take these people, we deal with them where they are, not where we have them. Okay. Church unity is intricately tied to move a move of God. Okay. It, the biggest em- emphasis on unity is probably the guys that put out those, of the sentinel group, Those movies called the transformation movies. Beautiful to watch, very formula-driven, okay? Transformation movies show all these places where a great move of God happened when the pastors cooperated with each other in a town. Alright? Very much a formula thing. Life is not always a set formula like that, but there's always this chicken and egg, which came first kind of thing between a move of God and church unity. all I can say is in a practical step-by-step way prepare yourselves for what you've got to teach these new Christians that are coming about the differences that make Jesus who he is teach the differences between Jesus and false God where we used to teach the differences between our church and others and when you change that day-to-day teaching you will create a paradigm shift in your own thought patterns. And that will open you up to receive something God wants to pour out on all of us. That will break the boundaries. It's in this town. And hope it. Amen.